Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. chapter 2, title of our sermon today is Led to Stay or Led, or Led Astray or Led to Stay. It's from 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. So let's take a moment, let's review kind of where we're at we read. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. I want to kind of remember, uh, re- refresh our memory um, about what we're doing here in 1 John. Uh, the title of this series in 1 John is Tested Assurance. The purpose of John writing this letter, uh, once again, was to encourage the believers We don't know what church specifically he's writing to, but we know that he's writing to encourage believers. And how is he doing that? Well, he's doing that by offering a series of tests of your salvation. Now, I know that's counterintuitive to what we think and what we believe today. The way that we go and encourage somebody, the way that we do it is, hey, you got this, you can do it. Hey, you got this, you can make it. You're enough. But what John knows very well and what Christians everywhere knows know very well is no, you're not enough, but Christ is. And if you know Christ, you are going to be just fine, come what may. And what has come at this time in the church history is, as always, rampant heresy, terrible false teachers coming in and causing destruction within the true church of Christ. Not the church of Christ, the denomination, but the church that belongs to Christ. This has always been a problem. So if it sounds like I talk about this a lot and I bring it up a lot, it's because it's all over Scripture. Almost every single letter in the New Testament mentions false teaching. Jesus mentions false teaching. Why? Because there is a very real adversary out there who wants nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy. And so Christians, we need to be on high alert. And what's happening here is that the churches are reeling. They're hurt. They're sad. They're discouraged, maybe even confused, because this false teaching that has come in sounds very convincing. And it's actually leading people astray. We know here in this church what it feels like when we watch people leave. Now, it's for different reasons. We're not not accusing people of following false teaching. It's for different reasons. But imagine how much more hurtful it is when you watch people that you love leaving the faith because of false teaching. Man, that's heartbreaking. 
That is heart-wrenching. And so John is writing to these believers who are shaken and confused and probably discouraged and saying, listen, here are some tests of your salvation. Test the people who are, are trying to teach you and test yourselves. In John chapter, in this letter, chapter 5, verse 13, he says that the reason he's writing this is so that you would know you have eternal life. How many of you know this morning that if you know that you know that you know because you have tested yourself against scripture if you have that assurance of salvation my friends no one can take that from you nobody can take that from you come what may whatever tides whatever storms come against your life if you know i am christ's and christ is mine come bring it on right So that's what we are looking at here in this letter. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and read. Uh, If you would, stand with us as we read the word of God. It's 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. This is the word of the living God. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now... Many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out. That it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning desperately needing your help, your spirit to illuminate your word to us, your spirit to convict us where necessary, your spirit to encourage us where necessary, and your spirit to conform us to the likeness of Christ. Lord, I pray that this morning that I would serve as nothing more than a mouthpiece for you to communicate your truth to your people for the glory of God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. I remember growing up in the 90s, we went to a private Christian school, and it seemed like all the rage was the end of the world. The rapture's coming. Jesus is coming back. Y2K. Anybody remember Y2K? How many times in your lifetime has the world supposed to have ended? Probably a lot. Here we are still, right? Y2K, it's the end of the world. Oh no, George Bush is president and it's the end of the world. Barack Obama is a president, it's the end of the world. Oh my gosh, it's just over and over and over and over, right? The end of the world, the end of the world. And I remember there was this book called Left Behind that came out in the early 90s. I will just be very honest with you. I spent a lot of time with anxiety and fear as a child because I did not want to be left behind. If I went out of my room and couldn't find my parents, I got left behind. I can't believe it. It's the Antichrist. He came in, golly. And so a lot of people grew up this way. And so there's a, 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 a doctrine, a teaching in Christianity called eschatology. And it's the study of the end times. 
what, when, when will the world end? What will it be like? The tribulation and so on and so on. My eschatology growing up was terrible fear. I remember reading a, par a portion in Revelation because we were going through Revelation in school when I was a child, which wasn't good for my, the anxiety that I already had. Because I remember reading about the moon, that the moon was going to turn blood red. And so every time we would go anywhere, I'd be sitting in the back if it was nighttime, and I'd look at the moon. What color is the moon? It, it's kind of red. It's kind of red. I think it's the end of the world. And my parents had no idea that I was going through all this terrible fear. Thanks, Mom. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm just joking. But this is something that has always taken Christians, is when will the world end? Even people who aren't in the church, when will the world end? I mean, how many times do you look at the news and you say, wow, this has to be the last days? Because look at what's going on right now. And here John is saying, over 2,000 years ago, children, it is the last hour. He doesn't say last day. He, said, he doesn't say we're in the last days. He says we're in the last hour. Church, if that was 2,000 years ago, they were in the last hour, we've got to be like in the last half hour at least, right? I mean, my goodness. 2,000 years ago, it is the last hour. So this is what we're going to focus on for our, our first uh, point on our outline today is, is this section about Antichrist. It's verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. In reality, the reason why, if you look at what John says, he says, as you have heard, Antichrist is coming. As you have heard. This was something that they, the early church was familiar with the teaching of. Uh, Paul taught about um, the eschaton, the eschatology, about the end times. Um, in Thessalonians, he speaks, he says, when I was with you, I talked to you about these things. Jesus, when he walked this earth, he spoke of the last days and what it was going to be like and the terror and the trauma that was going to befall the world as God was pouring out his wrath and final judgment. So this is something that the church has always been familiar with. And we as Christians in any generation, if Jesus comes back tomorrow or if another 2,000 years passes, we need to always be living with that in mind, that it is the last hour. We don't know how long this hour will be, right? We don't know what day or hour Jesus will come, but we know that we're in the last days, so we should act accordingly. A major feature of the last days is that there is a, a person, an individual known as the Antichrist who will rise up. And that's what John says here, that it's the last hour. As you have heard, Antichrist is coming. So we see Antichrist spoken of twice here. He says, Antichrist is coming and many Antichrists have come. So we, we see there's this implication that there's, he's, there's two different people he's speaking of here. Rather, there's one person in particular that he's speaking of, 
first that is coming, who is the Antichrist, who is the one who will draw away millions, and then there are many Antichrists. And so we're going to unpack that in case you're already very confused. Interestingly, Antichrist, the word, is actually only found in the letters of John. I thought it was in Revelation. But it's nowhere, and that's just a little trivia for Bible trivia for you. Antichrist is only found in 1 John and 2 John. But we do find this element, this description of this man who will come at the end time. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, um, let no one deceive you in any way. And I want you to notice that. This is a main feature of Antichrist is deception. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. So Paul is talking about these last days. What was happening to, to the churches in Thessalonica is that they were being told that the last days have already come. It's already happened. And Paul is clarifying for them, no, it hasn't happened because we have not come and encountered the man of lawlessness. In Paul, when Paul is writing this man of lawlessness, it's the same as Antichrist here in 1 John. There's this man, this figure, this individual who will come at the last days. So it's important that we establish this in our mind, that there is the Antichrist who's coming eventually, one day, at the... the and when that happens, we will know that, okay, time's up because the Antichrist is here. And that will signify the closing of the age. But then Paul or John is here talking about Antichrists that are already here. So these people are people who are leading Christians astray. Look, flip over to chapter 4 in 1 John. In 1 John 4, 3, he says, Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. That wasn't the final Antichrist that's in the world. It is this spirit of Antichrist that is already at work in people. And his primary function is to deceive, to carry out the works of Satan. If Christ, Jesus, came being the Christ walking this earth and his function here was to fulfill the will of God, Antichrist, his function will be to fulfill the will of Satan. He is the enemy of God. He also puts himself in the place of God. He makes himself to be God. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus speaks of this uh, abomination of desolation is what he calls it. And he's referencing from Daniel, the prophet Daniel, the abomination of desolation who will make himself to be like God. He will demand that people worship him. Well, if we look back throughout history... We've seen that plenty, haven't we? I mean, 
especially with the kings back in the day, they, they all put themselves in the place of God, that they were to be worshipped. We see that today. There are people on this earth right now who are walking around claiming to be the Christ. They're saying that they are the second coming of Jesus Christ. And guess what they're doing? Leading people astray. They're causing people to fall away from the faith, follow after a lie, because they're being deceived. And John's warning here is, listen, guys, it's the last hour. You know this. Since the time that Jesus went back up to heaven, it's been the last days. We're in the last hours. You knew this was supposed to happen, that Antichrist was going to come. But not just that he's going to come. He's already at work. He's already doing his business here on this earth because he hates the truth. He hates it with a passionate hatred that you and I just have never truly been able to even feel in our own hearts. 2 John verse 7, many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So you see, there, are, there, there is one antichrist who will come at the end. And then there are many antichrists who are fulfilling the role, who are accomplishing what Satan desires, namely to deceive. This antichrist, this spirit of antichrist is a deceiver that has the intention of drawing people away from Christ by in some way diminishing Christ. This is very, very important for us to grasp. Whether it's that we, he's elevating himself to be equal to Christ or he's denying that Christ is who he says he is or he's bringing Christ down to the level of nothing more than a good teacher. This is the spirit of Antichrist. He wants to diminish the person and work of Jesus Christ. What does that look like today? There is a... New Age teaching. And it's always this brand of enlightenment. It's this special enlightenment, this special knowledge, which, by the way, is exactly what was happening here. It was gnosis, which is, is literally the Greek word gnosis for knowledge. But they believed that they had this hidden special knowledge. And you had to follow all these rules and do all of these things to achieve this spiritual enlightenment. And in doing this, they denied that Jesus was the Christ. That's why John says, many antichrists have already come. Who are they? They're the ones who are denying Jesus. And fast forward to today, we have the same thing happening. There are people, people in megachurches who say, I don't believe that Jesus meant it when he said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. What he meant is that he was a road marker on the way to the truth. My friends, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There is no way to the Father except through me. This is the words of Jesus Christ. To deny that 
is to fulfill the work of Antichrist. And that's what's happening here. We have other teachers who are saying that, that Jesus was just a good teacher. He wasn't really God. He was just a smart guy. He was great. Yeah, he did miracles. He did all this stuff because he was a prophet. But to deny Jesus as the Christ is to put yourself in the role of Antichrist. Church, we must vehemently reject, very passionately, quickly reject anyone in any teaching that would at attempt to diminish the person and work of Jesus Christ in any way, shape, or form. Without Jesus, we have nothing. Our second point today in verse 19, the ones led astray. I told you our title today was led astray or led to stay. Let's read verse 19 again. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. I want to address first and foremost here as an aside. I've heard preachers use this as a way to say people who leave this church are showing that they're not really Christians. But friends, that is a terrible thing to say. That's not what John is saying here. Because you got to think about it. They didn't have a First Baptist Church of Samaria and a First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. So it's not like you could leave this church and go to this other church. That's not what he's talking about here. What John is talking about is people who have left the faith. They have completely fallen away. They have turned their back against God. Why and how? Chasing after antichrists. Or going back to verses 15 through 17, chasing after the things of this world. Paul speaks of this man on his missionary journeys. He says that he has abandoned me in love with this present age. In doing so, people make a shipwreck of their faith. This is what John is referring to because this is what was happening is that people were being led astray and they were leaving the faith. Now, what that looked like in real world scenarios is that people were leaving the church. But you have to understand that at that time, there was a church in the city. There wasn't a bunch of churches on every corner like even here in Wolferth we have. There was one church. There was one place. And this is where the believers gathered. So to leave the church was to abandon the faith. Was to completely reject Christ. And that's what was happening at this time. This happens for many reasons, but the most common is simply sound doctrine. Paul warns us when he writes to Timothy that in the last days, think about this, in the last days, this is what he's talking about here, the last hour, in the last days, people will fall away because they are chasing after false teachers because of their itching ears. And they're pursuing things that they want to hear. Tell me I'm a good person. Tell me 
I'm going to be blessed. Tell me I'm going to have health, wealth, and prosperity. Tell me all of these good things. This has been a problem ever since even in through the Old Testament. God says to Jeremiah, these prophets are telling to you peace, peace when there is no peace. God's word is a sword and it cuts through the bone and the marrow. It separates the real from the false. It separates the genuine believers from the false converts. It separates those who are genuinely a part of the body of Christ from those who simply attend church. This is the power of God's word. You understand this is not power found in any man. This is not power found in in any institution. This is the power of God's word. John chapter 6 illustrates this perfectly. Chapter 6, verses 65 through 69, and he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see what's happening there. People hearing Jesus' teaching and saying, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this stuff. And they turned away from following Jesus. And he turns to the disciples and says, what? You guys want to leave too? Go ahead. I know what I said. I know it was tough. I know it was hard, but it's the truth. Do you guys want to leave as well? Simon Peter said, Lord, where would we even go? You have the words of life. There's nowhere else for us even to go. Furthermore, he says, we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. There's nowhere else for me to go, Jesus. And it is painful to watch people fall away from the faith. It is painful. But this is an act of providence. Two things are accomplished when this happens. It shows the false from the genuine. And it also shows the genuine that they are not false converts. It shows the false professors from the genuine believers, and it shows the genuine believers that they are not false professors. Let's look at it. Verse 19 again. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued With us. Notice, not they should have, not they probably might have, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. To fall away from the faith is to show that they were never even in the faith. 
This isn't, again, remember, this isn't just going to a different church. This is turning your back on God. To fall away from the faith means that you never were even in the faith. Why? Because if they had been of us, they would have stayed with us. They wouldn't have left. John is so sure of this because this is what Jesus said. He doesn't lose any of his sheep. They went out from us so that we could see that they were not of us. They might have been great members of the church. They might have been nice, sweet people. But if they fell away from the faith, it means that they were never even in it. This is a way of God purifying his bride. You see, the church is not to be made up. A local church is not to be made up of just people, just whoever's. The church, the local church is to be made up of believers who are saved by God, who are being purified by the Spirit of God, and who are being mobilized to do the work of God. That is the local church, my friends. I know today we live in the, because of the post-Billy Graham era, we believe that church is meant to, number one, our first priority is to attract outsiders. That's not true. We welcome all guests. We welcome all visitors. We hope that God fills this place with visitors. But the first and primary function of the local church is for the believers to worship God and to be edified together. And when we see people leave the faith This is an act of purification that God is doing. I know this is a hard truth. So let's look at Deuteronomy 13. And we could probably spend the whole sermon in chapter 13 because it is rich. But we're just going to look at a couple of verses here in verse 13 that display for us what's happening. Now, we don't live under the Mosaic Covenant anymore. We live in the New Covenant, thanks to Jesus Christ. But the principles of how God works are still very much the same. Look at verse 13. Chapter chapter 13, verse 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you come to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. Listen, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Verse 4, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments And obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. In the rest of chapter 13, he gives more examples of people saying, Come on, let's go follow after these other gods. Let's follow after these other gods. And the Lord's command is, Don't listen to them. You're being tested to see if what you really want are prophecies. What you really want is some cool stuff to happen. What you really want is health, wealth, and prosperity. Or do you love the Lord your God? What are you here for? For what Jesus gives? Or is your heart to say, give me Jesus? 
give me Christ and nothing else and I will have everything. And it shows the genuine that they are not false professors. 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. write this down. Go read this. This is so powerful. 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Wow. This is not encouraging division among the body, obviously. But it's the same principle from Deuteronomy 13. That there, God in his sovereign hand, in his providence, he allows false teachers to come up. He allows them to be raised up. He allows people to be drawn away. Why? To see who's the false convert, who's the false professor, and who is the genuine convert. Who is the real believer and who is just playing church? Who is really here for Christ and who is here for what Christ can give you? This is God's sovereignty at work in his church. And he is purifying his bride. It has to be this way. Back to our text, verse 19 again. Listen to what he says, that they went out from us. They went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. You see that, that it might become plain. They left so that the genuine believers in the church would be able to see they were never really with us. That's a hard reality, isn't it? That it has to be this way. God is sovereign over all. And if he wanted to squash all of this, he could. But he allows it to happen to purify his bride. To allow people who are not truly in the faith to be drawn away after false gods, false teachings, false prophets, false you name it. So that those who are left over are the true believers. And so that those true believers would be able to see, oh, thank God, I didn't follow them. I'm truly in the faith. I didn't fall for that nonsense. I didn't fall for those lies. I didn't fall for that deception. Why? Because I'm a true believer. This is a great grace of God if you can accept it. What we learn here is that it is possible to be a member of a local church and not be a member of the church. In other words, you can have your name and info written in a church's book of membership and not have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Church, we should see this and consider this with great sober-mindedness and ask ourselves, this is a serious situation. Ask ourselves, where Am I, am I pulled, am I drawn away by teaching that diminishes Christ in some way? Or is God preserving me because I am truly his? That's the good news. John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, 
and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. This is the reality for the believers. While the false professors are led astray, the true believers are led to stay. This is our third point this morning. Verse 20. I love how this starts. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. These are those who are led to stay, as R.C. Sproul says. We are secure, not because we hold tightly to Jesus, but because Jesus holds tightly to us. What great comfort there is in that. John writes, but you, you have been anointed by the Holy One. Now, this isn't the kind of anointing that that false prophets of the day try to sell you, that they're anointed in some special way that you don't have access to. Listen to me because I've been anointed. I, can, I have these prophecies. I have this, that, and the other. No. John is writing them to all of the church and saying, all of you who are true believers, all of you are anointed by the Holy One. Why? What does this mean? The Holy One that he's referring to, of course, is Christ. But 2 Corinthians 1.21 says, It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us, uh, us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. This isn't some hidden special anointing reserved for, for prophets and evangelists and televangelists and, and false um, health, wealth, and prosperity teachers. This anointing is the Holy Spirit that is given to every true believer. Every true believer has the Holy Spirit within them. And this is the anointing that John is speaking of. So clearly these antichrists were saying, come listen to me because we have a special anointing. We have special knowledge. We have special access to God that you don't have. And you need to do this, this, and this to be able to access the Lord. And what is John saying? No, 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 no. You have the anointing of the Holy One and you have all knowledge. What is he saying? You already know. You already know God. You've come to know Him because His Holy Spirit is within you. His, if His Holy Spirit resides within you, you already have Access to the throne room of God Almighty. You don't need some false prophet to teach you and to pray for you. All you need to do is get on your knees and pray. John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. John 14, 26. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name... He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Notice, he will teach you all things. The Holy Spirit that resides within Christians 
John 15, 26. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Do you see that? This is why the Antichrist is shown to be the Antichrist by denying the Son or diminishing Jesus in any way, shape, or form is because the Holy Spirit within you bears witness about Jesus. Do you understand? Am I completely losing everyone right now? The Holy Spirit within each believer testifies that you are a son of God, testifies that you have come to know Jesus. So if you are listening to someone, if it's a friend or someone on TV or some popular preacher, and he is diminishing the work and the worth of the person of Jesus, that person is to be marked and avoided. Why? Because only people who have the Holy Spirit of God testify that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Jesus is everything. People who have the Spirit of God within them aren't trying to sell you encouragement and motivation to go be a better person. What are they trying to give you? Jesus. What are they trying to talk to you about? Jesus. That is everything. For the believer. That is everything for the church. If this spirit is at work within you, you might be led astray from time to time. You might fall into sin. You might even have seasons where you really struggle with sin. And guess what's going to happen? You're going to doubt your salvation if you're a true believer. You're going to wonder, why am I still struggling with this stuff? Well, why, why am I dealing with this? Jesus said that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Am I to assume that the Spirit of the Lord is not within me? But if you are a true believer, he will always bring you back. Always. I'll leave you with 2 Peter 3. You therefore, beloved... Knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. What we'll see next week is that the way to avoid being deceived is by coming to know the truth. The false are led astray, the genuine are led to stay. The false run and hide, the genuine abide. The false chase, chase after Antichrist, the genuine cling to Christ. Let's stand. I'm going to ask Kaylee to come up so we can sing and spend some time reflecting on God's word this morning. And if you've never come to know this Christ, I want you to know this morning that he did come to this earth as fully God and fully man. And he did live a life of sinless, blameless perfection to go to the cross as a perfect sacrifice for you and for me. 
And on that cross, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. That through Jesus' work on this cross, you and I could trade in our sinfulness for the righteousness of Christ. That we would give him the rest of our life. Through Jesus we live when we repent and believe the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the transformative work of the Spirit in our lives. Lord, we pray for those who, whose faith is weak, who um, seem ready to fall away, Lord. We pray that you would strengthen your bride. We pray that you would fill uh, true believers with the strength that comes from the, the Holy Spirit. That you would encourage us, Lord, and, and help us to endure and to persevere through all things. And on the same page, Lord, we thank you that you do cause to persevere those who belong to you. That though we may feel weak, though we lose heart at times and we, and we need encouragement, Lord, that your spirit will cause us to persevere till the final day. We thank you that it's true that he who began a good work in us will see it through. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Grace, peace, and mercy to you all.